everybody kevin markwick here again welcome to episode six already of the lockdown time machine podcast uh, a look back at roughly this time in the history of my cinema the picture house in uckfield east sussex uh, which is in england for those not of these shores uh, this week we materialize in may 1976 the 16th of may to be precise and why did my guest matthew sweet this week out from hundreds of other possible weeks recorded on the enormously enormous spreadsheet I send out that has all the films we played in April, May and June uh, since my family arrived in Uckfield in February 1964. Now the story this particular week tells is a fascinating one and reveals a lot about Britain and the way we were in 1976. One of the things we were suffering uh, was the worst drought in history apparently. Uh, well, I know I remember it, um, but I don't know if it was the worst drought in history. Uh, when some of you may remember, we had water rationing and standpipes in the street. It was certainly the longest summer I remember as a kid, and Matthew and I do refer to it in the show. For background, the films that week were The Language of Love, coupled with, if you'll forgive the pun, Do You Believe in Swedish Sin? That played for four days and had 159 admissions. And for three days, we played White Line Fever, which was a sort of trucker revenge movie with Jan Michael Vincent, and Night Caller, uh, which was a French thriller dubbed rather badly with Jean-Paul Belmondo. Nobody remembers that. Uh, neither of those we got around to discussing. Uh, in fact, what did they do? Let's have a look. Uh, 90, admission, 90 admissions over the three days, which is neither here nor there, really. Matthew is a writer, journalist and broadcaster for the BBC. He currently presents The Wonderful Sound of Cinema on Radio 3 on Saturday afternoons, as well as Free Thinking also on Radio 3. He's written several books, including Shepperton Babylon, a much-needed and brilliantly researched history of British cinema from the early silent days and beyond. It really is highly recommended. I first met Matthew some years ago when I was a guest on the film programme on Radio 4 and he subsequently came down to Uckfield and introduced The Servant for our centenary celebrations in 2016. I'll be back afterwards to tie up some loose ends and I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed talking to Matthew. talking about mr asquith yes well no we definitely played most of his films i mean some of the more obscure ones we may have missed but i think um we certainly did all the confessions films we certainly did uh let's get laid um we even played britannia hospital which is a slightly, oh, uh, <laughs> which is coming out soon on blu-ray is it restored yes it is yeah 
Well, I'm glad that you didn't neglect, uh, your family didn't neglect Robin Asquith, because I think what I always think about uh, Robin is that his, to the 1970s, his bottom was to the 1970s what Margaret Lockwood's beauty spot was to the 1940s. It's a kind of body part that defines an era. Yeah, I mean, you may, may, I mean, you might not necessarily want to pass this on to Robin, but uh, my, one of my dad's phrases over that period was, "I'm fed up of looking at that bloke's ass." <laughs> I think he almost called his memoirs yeah. that, so I don't think Robin will be offended. <laughs> he was always, always escaping down a ladder somewhere. He was, yes, and that's the interesting thing about him. He was usually being seduced, wasn't he? That's it. It's it sort of those films kind of worked on the high karate advert principle. They they're not like Alfie. No. Um, Robin Asquith's alter ego is not a predator. Um, he's generally like dragged in through the door, isn't he, by his chamois leather. Timmy, control yourself. Please, woman. Bloody marvellous. Oh, is he one of those? <laughs> this is your life, Timmy. It may not always turn out how you want it to be. But you'll get by, Timmy Lee. Because you're really not a loser, you just find it hard to win. It's good? Oh, it's very good. Well, that seems to be the, the, the whole thing about those films is that uh, every young man was completely terrified of sex. He liked the idea and would leer slightly initially. But once it got down to the actual nuts and bolts of it, they were terrified. Well, I think you've probably described the reality behind the permissive society of the early 70s there, Kevin. Mm. Yes, we were terrified of real sex. <laughs> but were the people of Uckfield terrified? I mean, I think um, this is what we're going to explore here. Were the people of Uckfield really into red-hot Swedish sex in a way that perhaps they're not anymore? Or is there still an appetite for it in your community? Uh, well, there could be, but of course the internet has rather blunted the um, any research that we may do. And you've alighted on May the 16th, 1976. Yes, I remember it well. It was hot, wasn't it? <laughs> I think it had it already had it started by that point. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it, when you say 1976 to me, I think of um, of being at school and and the water literally mm. being rationed. It was, yeah. So yeah, the, the, I, that I, element of danger um, that when you you know when you had a drink out of the tap at school and people thought it was hilarious to kick your ass while you were doing it. That I associate it with that element of danger. So so the deprivation deprivation and fear but what you've alighted on is actually a really formative 12 months in my in my in my teenage years i was uh, 14 and a half exactly oh, wow. on that day i didn't know you were as old as that i old am sir, really, aren't thank you, you sir <laughs> <coughs> no i'm 50 I believe I'm 58 this year. Yeah. Oh, congratulations! Oh, thank you very much. Now this has made it more. This has made our conversation instantly more interesting because, because we are going to talk about um, smutty films distributed in Britain in the 1970s. Now, to me, they were they were things of total mystery, uh, but for you. That mystery was slightly closer to being solved. Uh, Sunday, May the 16th. Language of Love and 
Do You Believe in Swedish Sin was its actual title. Yeah. And I can't find it anywhere other than a You Can't Find It Anywhere reference on the internet. Well, I found a little, a few little clips. Oh, you did? Oh, yes. Oh, where did you find uh, those? Oh, yeah. Um, oh. I, under its original Swedish title. Oh. Um, which on, I'm then. not going to try and pronounce. <laughs> um, but yes, it is there. And this is a this is a double bill, we should say. The Sunday yes. afternoon. Uh, this is a hot Sunday afternoon in Uckfield. Hot. I mean, the drought and the heat wave may not have started yet, but it's come early it on a Sunday afternoon to sleep. Well, maybe not quite so sleepy Uckfield. Something is stirring in Uckfield. It is. Quite a lot of things may be stirring in Uckfield on this Sunday afternoon, Kevin. Well, 74 admissions as well. It's 74 now, that, people coming. That's a lot. Is that a lot? Um, is that good going for a Sunday afternoon we're in talking the mid. No, well, we're talking the mid-70s here. So things were already on the rather um, uh, unstoppable slide towards the low point of admissions in 84. Uh, so the previous Sunday we'd shown Black Christmas, ideal Easter film. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, with Dark Places, and that had 104 admissions. I mean, it's difficult to say. I'd have thought 74 would be a bit disappointing. The following weekend we had uh, Pink Floyd live at Pompeii, and that had 100 admissions, so... Mm. Mm. So the Floyd, bigger yes. there yes. than than a Swedish sex than education the Swedish film. Th- I, we need you know, let's get to let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's say what these films are. This is a double bill. This mm-hmm. is a double bill of a film called The Language of Love, which is old. It's made in 1970, and then and, and that is one of those one of those films that's made as an educational film, um, but perhaps not sold as an educational film and it's a weird one this and I think I know why your family are screening it um, six years uh, six years after it's been made in Sweden um, well uh, do you know do you know this the you know only what's thing going on in your father's head here the, the only thing I can think uh, although Sweden I don't believe is in the common market was it in the common market is it in the common market no no so it wasn't to do with British quota because I know a lot nope. of that stuff was to do with filling the quota book. Um, He's showing his showman's side here because there no. had been a scandal <laughs> around not this film, but its sequel, um, which I think is called More More Language of Love or another bit of the language of love. Um, and that um, had been uh, the subject of, of, of um, you know, one of those big rows where... Um, the uh, British Board of Film Classification kind of sucked their teeth a bit. The more language of love uh, is something that the GLC in London agree to screen. It's such a, a notorious film that I think what your father has done is thought, well, I can't show this sequel, which is much ruder, I'm given to understand, right. than the original, The Language of Love. And so he is putting this in its place because this is in all the papers. Lord Longford has been banging on about it. Um, and it's become one of those films that those kind of Festival of Light people um, oppose. Um, and it fits into this this tradition that we're observing playing out right now, where Sweden becomes a, a kind of a battleground in in the culture wars. And lots of people who don't live in Sweden fight out their ideological battles there and this idea of Sweden as a place of 
of uh, sexual liberty is part of that argument and in a way all these arguments we're seeing now where uh, people are looking at um, uh, the Swedish model of dealing with um, COVID-19 they of course have taken they've not really done lockdown the Swedes and and it's a bit of a switcheroo because not because for years Sweden was a place that where um, you know left and right battled it out over whether or not social democracy was a good idea now it's happening over their uh, approach to COVID so you've got this weird thing of like a couple of years ago Donald Trump was sort of fantasizing riots in Sweden and baffling the Swedes by saying oh did you see that terrible riot um, last night in in Stockholm something that he'd, he'd seen on Fox News that never really happened mm. but now the, the kind of people of a more Trumpian bent and you know um, people who are more on the kind of right and libertarian uh, spectrum of things are holding Sweden up as, as a model whereas two years ago it was um, you know a hellhole overrun by uh, overrun by illegal immigrants so Sweden always has to play this part really uh, and here it, it, it's doing it in what in 1976 had become fairly traditional you know this has been um, raging on since the since the early 60s when because of Sweden being one of those countries that really got into social statistics, you know, measuring things like um, you know, illegitimate birth, for instance, or um, or stats about um, venereal disease in the population, it got into that kind of thing really early, which meant that that there was a, this whole discourse grew up in in America that said that that Sweden was a place of unacceptable um, libertinism but really they've just been crunching the data on this so in the uh, in the late 50s early 60s you get these stories in the American papers about what a terrible place Sweden is and of course m the reaction of many is to that is not um, horror but to drool slightly so Sweden then became associated with the idea of sex and that plays out in the cinema of the period mm. So that by the mid-60s, Sweden and sex have become inseparable. And cinema managers, your American equivalents, are starting to, to sell films, rather innocuous films coming out of Sweden, sometimes not so innocuous, but mm. mainly innocuous, but marketing them as something uh, sexy. And I know that when I interviewed John Waters many years ago, I remember him telling me that he had made his own um, little cardboard cinema um, and he modelled it on his local, um, uh, I suppose it would have been a porno theatre, really. But he made these little signs that said Swedish. You know, that was the name mm. of the cinema and he recreated it like the Swedish cinema or Sweden was used in the marketing, um, you know, to entice people in, to make them think they were getting something saucy. And that is the sort of tradition of exhibition that your dad is dipping a little toe into here, I think. Oh, I think he dipped more than a little toe into it. But oh, that, really? that's very, that's, well, that's very, I mean, that, that is a brilliant observation that that's why he'd done it. I mean, obviously the 14 and a half year old me wouldn't have made that connection. But certainly, that, well, there were so many on a Sunday of those kind of films. Films um, uh, line up and lay down and uh, nurses on the job. And there were just so many of those films. And that was a Sunday afternoon. That was the Sunday, Sunday. afternoon was perceived as being the time that, how interesting. So yeah. kids matinees on Saturday and yeah. then, then, then the sort of suburban couples and, and perhaps well, men, gentlemen in raincoats on the a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. The Sunday actually was what, what he used to call the Herberts. 
and they would, uh, in, you know, because it was the yobbos that had come from the yobbos in the broadest sense. <laughs> we didn't have waves of um, leather-clad bikers in Upfield. Um, and that's the only thing to do on a Sunday afternoon in the 60s and 70s was go to the cinema. So they'd all meet at the cafe up the road and then come in and watch pretty much anything we put on. Yeah. Um, they liked a bit of Frank and Drac and they liked yes. you know some motorcycle stuff and Easy Rider you can imagine was a massive hit here on a Sunday well Easy Monday. Rider was running around the same time as mm. this wasn't it in, yeah. in, in revival mm. um, so a lot of the time uh, the audience was, was there anyway to some degree it didn't yeah. matter what we put on on a Sunday and he was so paranoid because Sundays were so important that uh, to, the, to the rest of the week it was the biggest day of the week at this point I mean, this beginning to wane by the mid seventies, but certainly between the mid sixties and the mid seventies, it was the most important day of the week. Yeah, because it was the biggest day of the week. So he would never have two Sundays the same. Even when Oliver came out or Where Eagles Dare or any of these big roadshow type pictures, he would mm. always insist that they only played thirteen days. So he didn't have right. two Sundays the same. Yeah, but so, but it's interesting. Cause I was looking at the um, looking in the the newspaper archive, um, and his ad here. It's on. You know, it says it's playing for four days. This and 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 above the title "Language of Love," um, he's put "Sex Education" in in capital letters, wow. uh, and then underneath, "Do you believe in Swedish sex?" And of course, we've got the X certificate there. And do you, they play more than once? Um, so uh, he plays it twice on a Sunday. Twice on Sunday. He seems to be playing it through the week. Um, no, it was twice on Sunday and then once nightly, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There's a joke to be made here, yeah. I think. <laughs> but you've uh, out-researched me on that one. I, I okay, thought well, of can, going I to the... tell you uh, what his opposition yeah. was? What is, what, now, if you, were, if you were living in the Uckfield area mm. and you wanted something um, uh, um, more respectable, mm. you could get it. They were showing Gone with the Wind in, right. at the Ritz in Tunbridge. Right. And they were showing it shouldn't happen to a vet um, yes. in the Plaza Oxted. But in Tunbridge Wells... There was sex available. Well, um, they had three but screens. But on the didn't small screen, on the small yeah. screen, so on the big screen, you've got the um, the remake of Farewell, My Lovely, Robert Mitchum. Mm. I think that's Michael Winner, that isn't it? It was a Michael Winner film, yeah. Then in the um, in Choice Two, uh, their second screen, there's Straw Dogs and Mash, which is quite a um, quite a bill and qu and really mm. quite something that uh, you know proper programming there very very yeah, sensible well. sensible bit of double billing but in choice three we have confessions of a teenage virgin ah it's an interesting paradox isn't it confession of a teenage virgin i'm, I'm yeah. wondering <laughs> what quite such a person would have have to I, confess i think we did uh, maybe all that's of the subject of the film yeah i mean um, going i mean to sort of defend upfield slightly here we got it shouldn't happen to a vet played on april the 25th so because we were only so one you, screen yeah. then and that was enormous that had, that that had 2286 admissions in the week so i also love the fact that squeezed between um your yes between your fa <laughs> father's ad for the language of love and do you believe in swedish sex and yes. and the classic tunbridge wells enticement to mm. uh to come and experience the confessions of a teenage virgin and the lust seekers there is an ad that says come to wadhurst oh. wine and dine at the post horn <laughs> Uh, clearly, uh, nobody saw the irony in that. 
Continental cuisine, Ooh. open for lunches and dinner. We all know what that means, continental, yeah. don't we? But I don't think... I, I mean, oh, I don't, no, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. The BBFC uh, don't seem to have any information on um, language of love. Uh, but I did find uh, a few bits about it, and it looks deadly dull, because presumably well, it was cut to ribbons to be released uh, in the UK. Well, I, I don't know, you know. Uh, there has been a bit of academic work um, done on this film, and I'm going to refer everybody now to a to an essay online by Adrian Smith. Um, it's on the Sussex University website. Mm. Um, and it's called The Language of Love, Swedish Sex Education in 1970s London. And this is where I glean those little details about the about the notoriety mm. of of the film um, and how the sequel, more about the language of love, was denied a certificate by the BBFC in 1974. But how the, the GLC did grant it an ex certificate so it could be shown legally in London. And this is what I think your your dad is is capitalizing upon right. and it's one of these that's distributed by the fancy family ej fancy the goodness the the king of the b movies who i remember talking to michael winner about and he said that 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 fancy used to be used to t when he was making his second features he would throw all employment law uh, to one side he would make people do overtime and if they didn't want to do overtime he used to take them around the corner and beat them up oh my goodness so that is the that is the the joy of um of working in second features in the wow. that's really in the in the early 60s although they did have trouble because it was olive Niger's fancy who was ej fancy's common law wife who was convicted um on obscenity charges for screening more about the language of love and i said i think it's i think it's all of that uh brouhaha in the papers yes that brings the the prequel which is a rather more sober film uh, than the sequel into your father's cinema so what they would have been watching is a film that begins with an earnest conversation between um uh, a group of swedish doctors um uh kind of therapists and uh psychologists um and then we cut into scenes that are you know highly stylized really um and we get various problems um in people's sex lives explained so that we get these little vignettes and they're sitting on they're sitting in these stylized sets where furniture is is marooned in a little white space and then after we've seen the sketch sort of sketch that indicates what their problem is going to be the camera then moves down and we see uh, a kind of um you know taxonomical description of their mm. problem like hostility or lack of communication um embossed on the floor yeah and in the Swedish language version, you get it in Swedish. In oh, the okay. English language version, they reshot it so that you see those things um, in English. So it was it was made for made for export, and I rather suspect that its makers knew that um, when they were sending this film abroad, it wasn't going to be uh, taken um, just as a as mm. an educational film. No, there was this. I saw the sequence with. Um the lady that finds uh, her husband's pornography yes who is very <laughs> who who is very much disapproved of uh, in the film mm. because because 
if there was one thing you know in a way Sweden's reputation for being a place of, of sexual liberty isn't entirely deserved um, it is in many ways quite a reserved culture but they did have these very um, uh, liberal uh, pornography laws um, mm. from the from the early in the early 70s I think 71 is when they came in so it does give you some insight I think into what the mores of Sweden were at that moment and yeah this this little uh, mag is discovered inside this man's. She's going through his jacket, isn't she? I wonder yeah, what she's she looking is, for. Yeah. I have no idea. And she's wearing wearing a very but, fetching orange smock. Yes, <laughs> but but in a way, it's like a reverse of the normal uh, moralism mm. uh, that we might expect here, because the the film is disapproving of her for disapproving of him yes. having this sort of stash in his pocket, and you know maybe her position isn't that unreasonable, really, but. But this isn't what the film thinks. And then there's a sort of revolving bed scene as well, isn't there? Yes, the man um, explains all this around a, a ro- round bed, which is really it's, strange. It's a man, he's a Swedish <laughs> In a white sociologist. coat, I believe. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what the name of this kind of film was called. I wonder mm. whether your father um, knew uh, or used this expression, but they were referred to in the business as white coaters. White coaters, yeah. yeah. This, uh, yeah. this sort of film. And there were British ones uh, mm. as well. Um, yeah, know, they were the kind of, of early. Michael Winner cut his teeth on the sort of. Um, oh no, he was did more he, of the. Well, no, 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 he didn't. No, he didn't. He did the um, naturist films, didn't he? That's right. That's very different because mm. that's all. You know, there's a kind of utopianism about those. That's yeah. all. Take off your clothes and live. These are a more a stranger kind of mixture because there is a sort of. Um, uh, kind of liberal impulse behind them. They are so, often telling you to kind of don't worry and and don't uh, don't um, so, don't have don't have too many hang-ups. But 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 sometimes they're also um, more like um, a version of the the kind of film that um, something like Primitive London would be a good example of, which I think your cinema also showed, mm. which is the kind of the shockumentary uh, where where I mean I think in um, in primitive London, there's a we get to see things like an an abattoir and an ingrowing toenail operation. Just wow! Sort of shock stuff. Not seen and that. There's an element of that in this. This is the daring, titillating inside story of primitive London. Behind the bright lights, in the undergrowth of alleyways, lies the jungle of primitive London. Here, life and people are different. The beat is offbeat. Here is the bizarre and the violent. The odd. The fascinating and fantastic. Here is London laid bare. What is the intention of the filmmaker here in this particular instance? I mean, this is coming out of Sweden. Is their intention to be educational? in Sweden and and the rest of the world has picked up on it in a slightly prurient way? I think there's a little bit of truth in that but I think that there is a sort of um, I think there's a kind of uh, a a slight dishonesty about the whole project uh, really Um, I think there is a a desire to titillate is there I think from the beginning because otherwise I think that these filmmakers um, are are kind of uh, are doing something a little, I mean, not dishonest, but I think they know that this film can be read in a number of different ways, 
and they and that's in the that's there in the text of the film that that's not something that is uh, that's totally in the eye of the beholder i'm just curious to think uh, to know what the herberts on a sunday afternoon would have made of it well i think that the main i think that these were like an eternal disappointment well they uh, must have been all these. sex films in britain were an eternal disappointment <laughs> i mean it they just uh, yes because i mean i've watched quite a few of these things you know it's often hard to to ward off a feeling of deep depression by the mm. time you've got to the the end of say a film like come play with me where you've got um uh you know irene mm. handle yeah it's and great Cardi robinson yeah yeah going through spending an afternoon um uh, walking through some absolutely unfunny script and then you know cutting to some strangely indeterminate sex acts um inside a badly lit sauna somewhere um so there is a kind of um existential despair that sets in often uh, i think and i don't think that can just be our despair um i think that despair might have been there in in the cinema too um, but somehow people always kept coming back thinking that, you know, maybe this time I'll see something that's well, presumably, really exciting. Presumably, to some degree, that's how pornography works on that level anyway, that the next hit is going to be better than the last one. Well, I don't think anybody would really dare complain. I think there was that there was that element. No. Too. Nobody would be angrily demanding their their money back. But also, they mu but they must have satisfied something. And I think, uh, you know... Maybe you know we're talking about several different kinds of film here, but but it's mm. always interesting to to see that archive footage of perfectly happy, uh, perfectly kind of ordinary uh, people um, in couples coming out of something like um, Adventures of a of a Plumber's Mate or one of the yes. Confessions films. You know, absolutely satisfied with what they've seen unembarrassed um and we forget in a way how culturally uh, salient these films were they weren't hidden away i mean these these are something slightly different the ones we're talking about but the more mainstream pictures like the confessions films backed with american money you know columbia is is producing yeah, them columbia yeah. um dear old robin mm. asquith is wins the um, evening standard um best newcomer award uh, because of conventions of a window cleaner um, and Adventures of a Taxi Driver did more business in this country than Taxi Driver and <laughs> you know Mutiny on the Buses which is so, isn't really part of this but is you know again something that when we look at it now we think of it as a warning from history rather than a, a good night out but that was not the view that the British public took not at all. I think oh, the first on the buses film is one of the most successful British films ever made, I believe. Yeah. But um, yeah. but you see, uh, particularly Holiday on the buses now, and that really does induce a kind of uh, angst from from the past. Well, really it's almost like a kind of Lars von Trier film. I mm. think. Uh, um, I, mean, the, I, I think of the way that Emily Watson is is treated in Breaking the Waves as being. Not entirely unlike the way that um, Anna Karen is treated in that uh, mm. swimming pool scene in in Holiday on the Buses, which is 
um, a thing of extraordinary brutality. I think the, the in a way the revelation of going back to on the buses now is to see that really Blakey is the hero. Blakey is the only decent moral character um, in that world, and the rest are hideous monsters. Yes, two. What are you doing in here? Well, we haven't got any driving to do today, so the man just put us on relief duty. But you two lifeguards, you must be raving mad. Ah, we're both strong swimmers. Don't worry, Blackie. If you fall in, I'll give you the kiss of life. Not you, mate. We all choppers. You bite me tonsils out. <laughs> hey, just maybe so, and out our mum. Hang on. What is the British comedy now that, that represents us? You know, it's on television, I suppose. Uh, well, this kind of comedy has really f- has has faded away, I would say, apart from in a, a, a more ironised kind of form where the comedy is more about about pity than about or, gr- or grossness than um, it is about somehow wanting to identify with these characters I mean I think people did identify with uh, the Robin Asquith Timmy Lee character but mm. when we watch the I suppose it's not really quite a contemporary example but something like the Inbetweeners um, yes. which is is you know the same kind of uh, smutty sexual comedy we look upon it with a very different eye you know we're appalled by those boys aren't we it's all about the awfulness of those boys yes but we understand as... they're boys don't we i think yeah. that's the difference whereas yeah. in these film the confessions films these are supposed to be adults behaving in this way aren't that's they? right and and often they seem too old don't yes. they yeah in, in trying to find out about um do you believe in in swedish sin mm. Do you believe in Swedish sin? Well, I, I, it's some bizarre plot, as far as I can make out, that somebody sent a report on whether Swedish sin actually is a thing. That's right. It, <laughs> a, a German sociologist yeah. is sent to sent to examine the question of Swedish sin, and he he chooses to um, carry out his ag- examinations in a, a student dormitory. Yes, by by um, chance. Yes. No, I've watched. I've watched like the first. Found the first twenty minutes or so of this online, um, and uh, it begins with where we're in some kind of institute in what seems to be Stockholm, um, where some Swedish um, uh, they could be doctors or or um, experts of some kind having an angry conversation which results in them calling up this sociologist and I think summoning him to Sweden to carry out this. Mm. I don't know whether they are doctors. They could even be like from the tourist board wanting to do something about Sweden's image abroad. Ja, men det är inte sant. Vi har porrklubbar och vi har massageinstitut. Ja, om man får inte jobb så lätt. Ja, yeah, I mean, that was as old as um, Language of Love, wasn't it, I believe. In fact, funnily enough, when I spoke with Francine Stock, she'd picked the week out that had um, uh, I'm Curious Yellow in it. Oh, yes. She didn't alight on that film particularly, but that was a, that was a, that was a similar uh, fuss uh, yes, and it bother, was. wasn't I mean, it? A, I'm Curious Yellow, a proper... Um, a proper um, complex documentary and that in a way is a film that both counters those um, cliches about about Swedish um, libertinism 
but also fuels them in a way as well and holds Sweden up as this kind of um, I mean it was called the Swedish model with no irony at all it holds Sweden up as a, a, as a serious place and a kind of, of um, not exactly utopia but a place to be looked to um, for a kind of new society and I'm curious Yellow very um, uh, presciently goes around to the house of Olaf Palma who was then um, uh, a minister in in the government of his of his predecessor and you see him sitting at home in his little you know trim modern little uh, Swedish um, house and uh, sitting in his back garden talking about the kind of classless society that they wanted and he became an absolute cause celebre because even before he became you know Sweden's best known and and most highly regarded I would say Prime Minister um, he was known throughout the world for being one of the few uh, European politicians who would stand up and uh, and say what he thought about the the war in Vietnam mm. and so he became a kind of hero uh, to the anti-war movement even before he was he was Prime Minister and of course he was assassinated in in 1986 and nobody knows who did it Wow but of course all these nuances are lost on the Herberts on Sunday afternoon. Do you at not the think? House do you think so? <laughs> they've not come. They've not come. Do you think because they're they're interested in the in the in the um, in the discourse? Well, and they want to kind of. They're interested I, in the representation of of Sweden and, and how it's uh, and how that how that's um, been. Put I think they were service of various um, ideology ideological ideas. No, I think they were hoping some boobs would arrive at some point. Well, and they were, and their hopes were were fulfilled mm, because yeah. you do see a little bit of that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm it's assuming not a great the deal. I'm assuming the uncut version was more explicit than the version we saw in the UK. But um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there w there were certain things that were made like that, and clearly, language of love was made in multiple um, language mm. versions, but. Um, and we know that there were some British ones that were, were done like that. Like I think "Come Play with Me" had a, a an, ex, a more an explicit X rated, version, if you like, yeah. even though they were X X certificate. Yeah. But, um, but I always wonder whether there's a bit of exaggeration in this because it's such a good idea. That idea that there was some like there's a really violent <laughs> ha yeah. like Hammer made really violent versions of their films mm. for Japan. I mean, I'm not the biggest Hammer expert in the world, but I've never seen any of those. I've never, I've never been offered the opportunity to see like the really gory version mm. of of um, Scars of Dracula. Um, but I suppose the idea that there's an even saucier version out there is well, very titillating in thing. itself. I wonder, isn't that just a marketing, yeah. mainly a marketing <laughs> idea, rather than yeah. something that we could get? Um, we could do a kind of serious archival project yeah. where we would see these versions side by side because I feel if they existed, we would have seen them, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they be extras on our Hammer Blu-rays? Well, they would, and certainly we would presumably be able to see saucier versions of these films that we were fed in the 70s. Not that I don't, th I don't think anybody would be especially interested in seeing them, though. I think that the, re I think that the purity, uh, the purest version would be the the one with the deepest cuts i think don't you probably because, you're right yeah. because that would that would really concentrate that that feeling of despair that 
that they yes. that they have to offer. But I have to say, you know, I you know when I wrote about these things, getting on for twenty years ago now, um, I was saying that you know these aren't these aren't um, great films, but we need to kind of recover a sense of their importance in the moment, and that means, and I think I put it in these terms, that a lot of uh, British academics were going to have to sit down and watch these films where they sure. saw um you know all of these people running around in their uh, their kind of 70s toweling underwear and weirdly i think that's actually happened now i mean that essay that i was just uh, quoting to you there um from uh, from uh sussex university adrian smith at sussex university sussex university my god you know yes. an absolute uh, <laughs> center of um you know highly theoretical um uh, uh, yes. Uh, theoretical kind of view of the humanities, um, red hot theory there, um, and now um, the language of love um, is seen as a proper and fit subject uh, of study. This is essays from twenty eighteen, and I say, amen to that. It's yeah. sort of important this stuff. But from a cinema exhibitor's point of view, a lot of this has to do with the dearth of um, really good commercial product as well. Mm. I think. You know, there's not a lot going on. Do you uh, mean that if he, if there had been like um, another, yeah, an know, alternative lady, we yes. would have had that, would we? Yeah. Not? Well, yeah. I mean, looking around it, so that uh, what did we play the rest of the week? I can't remember. Oh, it was something exciting. Because um, oh, actually, one the, the first, uh, the following week was the first time we ran one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay. So you know that was a that was a massive massive yeah. switch. But do do you think that your father thought that he was uh, administering, um, uh, you know, the last days of a of a dying art form? Uh, yes, I think he very much did. Mm. He thought, and all the advice around was get out of cinema now. Yeah, you know mm. it's finished, and he took some terrible advice and bought a chip shop in Hove. <laughs> which was terrible advice and we were paying for it all the way through my teens and into my 20s I think the chip shop so the chip shop turned out to be a liability absolute but the, disaster but the cinema didn't no yeah. well because he he had the foresight in 77 uh well this so so actually this this period was the last uh, gasp if you like of the single screen cinema in our field yes yeah. So 77 was when he started building or converting it into two screens, which is what mm -hmm. saved us. We wouldn't have survived as a single screen. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, but all of this. So he wasn't he wasn't a curator. That was never, never what he, he felt he was. Mm -hmm. He didn't he didn't feel the need in any way to editorialize the program or, or educate the masses or no, no. Or even was, to write the titles down in full in his ledger. Yeah. <laughs> You know the the main the main the main priority was to take as much money as humanly possible, yeah. um, and you know we we couldn't always manage it with the type of product and the people's I mean I don't know what was people's uh, feeling about cinema at the time. I well, I tell you what fairly... I can uh, what I can tell you mm. about this is that I remember discussing this with Ronald Neen uh, ah. once, and he was thinking back to the time where he was making the Poseidon Adventure. And he said that he thought that that would be the model for cinema. And he said that he thought that the, the orthodoxy within the business in the mid 70s was that um, the only thing that would be made would be two or three 
really massive films a year there'd be nothing else there'd be no kind of no small pictures no medium-sized pictures no no big pictures just three two or three massive ones uh, every year and that there would only be big cinemas in major cities and that you would go and see you would get on a coach tour coach you'd get on a bus like you would to wow. see a west end show and it would be a kind of twice a year treat and you would kind of go to Birmingham on the bus or wherever and you would see something vast like the Poseidon Adventure on a huge screen in a luxurious cinema but there would be nothing else I think he wasn't a million miles off the mark in that um, the, the, the the closure of cinemas didn't quite happen in that way or the closure of cinemas outside of city centres didn't happen in the same way but two or three really big films a year is kind of what happened in the end. Yeah. At that point, you know, you had a Star Wars, or you had a Close Encounters, or you, you know, there was sort of one or two, or a Jaws, or one or two really big films a year that would sustain you for the whole year. To be honest, I think that's what. And happened. am I right in thinking uh, this? This feels like it's gone down in the in the law of exhibition. Mm. I wonder whether your father or you would have said said the same. But the Chariots of Fire was the film that showed. That actually, middle class people would come back to the cinema, and that um, uh, that the middle sized film was still uh, viable, and that the British film was still viable. I don't think uh, I don't think that's wrong about the wider um, mm -hmm. cinema in the UK, but for Uckfield, it was always um, important British cinema, and had always done well because of our demographic and where we are in the heart of. Wield, Jeffrey Johnson Smith was the MP for most of me, me growing. I mean, you know, this is very uh, died in the wall British loving uh, uh, audience that we had. So we'd always done well, um, you know, all the way through the sixties. We were still playing Kenneth Moore, and uh, um, you know, uh, well, you, you couldn't go wrong with Kenneth Moore and Tarzan. My dad discovered, which is a bit weird. <laughs> Tarzan. It was a Tarzan <laughs> film. Playing yeah. somewhere else uh, nearby right. that that same week. Um, yeah, but we were still. That... We'd always done well with all the rank stuff, you know, and the Doctor films, yeah. which were still playing well into the late sixties. You know, Carry On, the, the sort of classic double bill, um, Doctor in the, uh, Doctor in the House, and Carry On Nurse. Yeah, was still playing in the late sixties, which is extraordinary. You see, while you were screening, uh, do you believe in Swedish Sin? The Ritz mm. in Tunbridge was showing. A film with a very captivating title of yes. Tarzan's Deadly Silence. That doesn't sound too thrilling, does it? <laughs> and that stars Ron Ely. So oh. that makes me think that is probably two episodes of the Ron Ely uh, Tarzan TV series edited yeah. together. That didn't. That certainly didn't play. Um, He's fascinating. I mean, I'm Ron Ely. Uh, yeah. Well, I used to love Tarzan when I was a kid. That was right, right in my, right Ron in my Ely. target zone. Mm. Ron Ely went to Sweden in the late 60s and he was hanging out with a producer who made, I can't remember his name now but he made um, uh, that film Attack of the Killer Shrews uh, and he went with Ron Ely to Sweden to talk to Vietnam deserters who'd wound up in, in Stockholm with the idea of doing a film of some kind with them Wow There's I just can see him in his tiny little Tiny, tiny little loincloth yeah, that he wore. He was, you know, I'd, I'd interviewed Ron Ely once and he said that oh, yeah. all the Tarzans used to mm. get together to 
talk about those things that only Tarzans know. So wow! Him, Did him they do the Buster, call? <laughs> Buster Crab. Probably when the probably when the when, bill arrived. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but him and Buster Crab <laughs> and Johnny Weissmuller and who were the others? Gordon. Uh, Gordon yeah, Park. there was, wasn't Gordon there? Park. Oh, who's the guy um, on in the sixties? Tarzan's Great there. Adventure and that sort of thing. That's yeah. right. And he worked with Fellini, I think, didn't he? So wow. the, who was the, one of the Tarzan actors worked with Fellini? Oh man, that Tarzan story is just wonderful. The idea of a secret society of Tarzans is irresistible. I wonder if they all wore their loincloths and who paid the bill. Anyway, a huge thank you to Matthew for giving up uh, so much of your time and for such an insightful and entertaining conversation. I really, really am very grateful. It's an absolute joy talking to such great guests and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, One of the things that's become quickly apparent is that there's still so much to learn about what is theoretically my area of expertise uh, do let me know your thoughts or observations via Twitter at Kevin Markwick or by email to podcast at picturehouseupfield.com. Uh, next time, the first part of a brilliant and epic podcast with the force of nature that is Robin Ince. Take care and uh, hopefully I'll see you again next time. And I'll leave you with uh, Papa Bue's Viking Jazz Band and the Swedish friends with Gundhild Carling on vocals. Take it away, boys and girls. Anything but love, baby. That's the only thing I've plenty of, baby, baby. Dream a wild and scheme a wild. You're sure to find happiness. And I guess all the things that you pine for, baby G, I like to see you a looking swell, baby. Diamond reckless, what word doesn't sell, baby? Till that lucky day. You know darn well, pretty baby, I can give you anything but love. I can't give you anything but love, pretty baby. You know that's the only thing. You're sure to find happiness And I guess Oh gee, I like to see you Looking swell, baby And you tell me well, pretty baby.